Hi there, a quick note before we begin the episode. Did you know that Atlas Lingue has its own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life. In this audiobook, we share additional exclusive commentaries on each episode with brand new insights and examples on the subject that we can't stop thinking about, how humans translate everything that comes their way. Also remember, when you buy Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. So find Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life, on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, when I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, I'm better. Don't you know that a man being rich is like a girl being pretty? You might not marry a girl just because she's pretty. But my goodness, doesn't it help? Funny business, a woman's career. The things you drop on your way up the ladder so you can move faster. You forget you'll need them again when you get back to being a woman. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Welcome to Atlas Lingue. In this season, we're exploring the subtle, and sometimes not so subtle, ways in which we communicate the broad subjects that define our everyday lives. I'm your host, Luis Lopez. This week, the language of femininity. So, you know, we tend to associate femininity with these ideas of being nurturing, being able to, uh, you know, be in touch with one's emotions. It can be very specific to cultures and what is expected of women and the embodiment and the performance of womanhood. Beauty, seduction, nurture, um, and for the longest time, I've had a negative connotation towards the meaning of femininity, but recently I've found empowerment towards that. I define femininity as something kind of fluid, um, like it's like dancing or being in water or bringing out your emotions or feeling comfortable to express how you're feeling. But that can look different to lots of different people. Also, just a heads up, there will be a few sexually explicit words in this episode. As you may remember from our episode about masculinity, this three-part suite around gender has more of a roundtable approach. And it's important to remember that this in no way seeks to be the final word on these topics. We won't cover every facet of femininity, of course, nor are we trying to. But we do want to focus more specifically on certain labels, especially ones that have been popularized on social media. So to start us off, we asked our guests to define femininity. There's such 
a range of ways that, you know, femininity can be conceptualized as it intersects with, you know, race, class, disability, sexual orientation. And there have been more expansive conversations around, you know, what femininity looks like for, you know, various societies, for various cultures. This is Dr. Frankie Mastrangelo a professor of sociology at Virginia Commonwealth University. Where I teach different courses around gender, digital culture, and thinking about the ways that digital spaces, different forms of media impact um, our understandings of gender. One of the focuses of her research is girl boss culture. First of all, I do think it's really interesting that generational difference too in terms of conceptions of the girl boss because thinking about like Gen Z students and friends of mine that assumed that the girl boss just started as a meme. Like it was just, you know, a, a hashtag and, you know, different memes popped up around it. You know, what I love about memes is that they always start with an element of cultural truth. And this is no exception. In fact, the term girl boss became popular after being the title of the 2014 book by Sofia Amoruso, who was then CEO of women's fashion retailer Nasty Gal. The book portrays the image of a confident woman who thrives in the business world, and the term has been used to refer to women in high positions of power. Her writing this book, you know, was part of this 2014-2015 cultural zeitgeist around who identified as feminist. So in interviews, uh, different journalists were asking people like Taylor Swift, whatever pop star was being interviewed at the time. Like, so where do you stand on feminism? Like, are you a feminist? And so the girl boss trope emerged during that time. And I think it was important to connect it to this uh, watershed moment that was happening with feminist identification, because a lot of folks jumped on this bandwagon of, you know, yes, I identify as feminist. So arguably the term girl boss contributed to a more mainstream understanding and appeal of feminism and feminist role models. But it was also questioned for how it presented only one side of femininity made of women in charge. And a potentially infantilizing one at that. I mean, wouldn't it be weird to call a male CEO a boy boss? Speaking of which, Frankie shared with us another term that illustrates this. She-E-O. So I think about the the ways that those particular phrases of like adding she onto things, that in and of itself can, you know, feel very exclusionary. And it's doing this work of reinforcing different forms of binary understandings of gender that really do disadvantage everyone. So it creates these rigid boxes for us to fit into and thinking about, okay, well, you know, if we add she-eo, add the word she onto something, it's trying to expand this conception of the CEO, which is an identity that, an identity and role that is serving to reinforce hierarchies, reinforce a systemic power, and with that relations of severe inequality. Frankie says the concept of the girl boss has come to represent a historical moment of white feminism. 
So thinking about white feminism being this reductive take that is very exclusionary and drowns out the perspectives of folks that have intersecting identities. So thinking about how race, class, disability, you know, all of these dimensions of identity and experience impact how uh, liberation and justice will take shape and how important it is to, you know, hear from everyone. And white feminism reduces the conversation to being about upwardly mobile white women's concerns. So it's like, you know, saying like, you can be the best girl boss, you can be the best CEO, um, you know, the most powerful woman, if you are able to figure it out yourself and figure out how to manage care work in all of these ways. And then the unspoken layer of support is then how people outsource domestic work they're able to gain that kind of power, gain that kind of wealth because they have support that's often made invisible. And these differences in race and class can even be seen in the use of slang terms, especially those used by women to refer to each other. You know, thinking about the prevalence of, like, through Broad City, people saying Yas Queen and not thinking about the, you know, cultural appropriation that was intertwined with, you know, lifting that phrase from uh, communities that white women don't belong to. And now we see that in so many different spaces. And the issue here is women with a certain privilege appropriating terms used by more marginalized communities, especially ones whose femininity does not fit the model of straight white women. Part of being feminine, there's a moral component to being feminine. Chaste, you know, just proper, etc. Not loud, not abrasive, all the things that were oftentimes linked to Black women. And so that excluded Black women from being perceived as feminine. This is Dr. Julia Jordan-Zachary, professor and chair of Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies at Wake Forest University. Lots of my research focuses on on Black women. Julia is also a co-editor of a collection of essays called Black Girl Magic, Beyond the Hashtag. Black Girl Magic, Beyond the Hashtag, actually came out a series of conversations I had with my daughter and she was maybe 14, 15 at the time. And I was very resistant to the notion of Black girl magic. I thought it was, you know, a response to the notion of the strong Black woman, which is is part of the kind of notion of femininity and Black womanhood, that Black women don't always have access to the same understandings of femininity because they aren't oftentimes perceived as women. They're out of that cult of true womanhood. And so I was kind of reading Black Girl Magic as a bit of a response to that. And I saw it as potentially harmful because what are you saying when you say Black women are magical, right? We already have so many stereotypes that we have to resist on a personal and and political level. And... We would sit around a dining table and we would have these conversations about what does it mean when we say that Black girls are magical. Julia wasn't as convinced by the title her daughter was suggesting, as it seemed to reinforce a historically harmful stereotype. And she kind of resisted me and it was beautiful. It was annoying, (laughs) you know, like little girl, leave me alone. And not magic in the sense, and this is what we, we argue in the book, it's not magic in the sense that things just poof, appear. No, 
What is magical is the extent that Black women are willing to engage in the work to make themselves real. That's what's magic, is the work <laughs> that has to happen in order to show up in these spaces that are systematically trying to eradicate you. Naturally, there will always be generational differences, and that's part of the beauty of how ideas evolve. They continue the struggles of previous generations and bring them into contemporary life. When you talk about Gen Z and, and particular words and how they might be pushing back against patriarchy and all these other forms of, of understanding society, categorizing society, what they're doing is actually having conversations around identity and how to define themselves. Black women have always been engaged in this practice of self-articulation and self-definition. And so Gen Zs aren't necessarily new in saying we want this particular kind of identity around our, our understanding of self. The idea of self-definition may be nothing new, but us language lovers can't help but be fascinated by how these forms of self-definition change over time. And Gen Z has definitely done its part in codifying its own terms one of which is that girl. I think that girl is definitely the Gen Z's version of Girl Boss. This is Blanche Texan, the content creator based in Toronto, Canada. Right now my content is geared towards lifestyle content, so that includes fitness, nutrition, and mental health. That girl, as a trend, started to become popular in early 2022 on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. It's basically like, when you look at someone, you're like, oh, she's that girl. So I saw her as someone who put herself first. She was taking care of herself, healing, um, tried her best to cut off negative thoughts, negative people, toxic things. And I believe that that girl is kind of like, you have to take care of yourself and put yourself first and actually start believing that you can follow your dreams in order to become the girl boss that you see everywhere now on social media. Okay, so that girl might not quite be the Gen Z version of girl boss. Maybe it's what the girl boss does when she's not at work. So basically you would see a lot of girls waking up at like five or 6 a.m., going to the gym, going for a jog, yoga. And then after that, they would make like aesthetic coffee or matcha was really huge back then. And then after that, they would do some journaling, some reading, some things to wind them down and just to stay off their phone. Something like healthy and humane, I would like to say. And then after that, they would go on towards their day doing like productive things. Blanche even tried to follow the trend in her own videos. Because it was blowing up. So I, when I was filming the video, I would do it just for one day. Like the routine was just a one day thing uh, where I would wake up and I would do all those things like go for a jog or meditate or do my journaling but then the day after i'd be like okay that was so good on screen but then <laughs> i think back in that time um i was unemployed so i would be waking up at like 10 a.m being like okay time to start my day and then i would not do all those things i'd probably like eat 
sit on my phone for an hour and then start editing that version of me, which is not real at all. Social media, as we know, rewards consistency. The more you see trends like this on social media, the easier it is to start to believe that this is how things should be. If we think about it, nowadays the term that girl is almost always used positively. But just a couple decades ago, it was used to criticize. You didn't want to be that girl. Because in many ways the language of femininity comes down to who's speaking, who's presenting the terms, and perhaps more importantly, who's deciding what shouldn't be said. Because when the issue isn't following the newest trend, it's being unable to talk about explicit topics with explicit words because of censorship algorithms. Yeah, the censorship drives me crazy. Um, really, I mean, it's ridiculous. On Instagram, you can't spell words like vulva, vagina, arousal, sex. And it's like, those are not bad words. I have no idea why you can't write those on Instagram. This is Clark Rose, a sex and pleasure coach based out of Melbourne, Australia, whose work focuses on the impact of pornography, social media, and dating apps on sex and relationships. Their one rule that like gets sex educators taken down is like you're soliciting sex, which one, not even a bad thing. Soliciting sex is one of the oldest professions in humanity, but also that's not what we're doing. And they like take these, they've taken my posts down so many times and they won't let me advertise because they're like, you're soliciting sex. And I'm like, I am teaching people how to have good consent informed, boundary informed sex. And the censorship of explicit terms has many repercussions on the way we experience gender and sexuality. And this is something Clark knows all too well. And I do a disclaimer with my clients. I'm like, when I'm saying, what was your first sexual experience? That can be whatever you want. That can be the first time you made out with someone and you got wet. Like, it doesn't need to be the first time a penis went into your vagina. So, yeah, I try to use really expansive vocabulary. I call anything that's not penetration, sometimes outer course, for people who, like, need that differentiation. Outer course, inner course, sex, penis, vagina, vulva. Perineum. I use really, really anatomical. I want people to know what's going on. Not only is it crucial to break the stigma around these terms, it's also helpful to use less well-known terms, such as outer course, precisely to be more specific. Because sex does not have to mean intercourse. And on that note, being girly does not equal being naive. Growing up, I was teased a lot because I was very girly. I loved pink things. I loved Paris Hilton. I loved Barbie. And I I didn't like sports. I was like terrified of balls. And I was literally made fun of. Like people, girls would be like, you're not cool. Like boys aren't gonna like you because you're not one of the boys. And, and you know, boys didn't like me because I was too girly. I walk around with, you know, butterfly hair clips and a pink room and, mini skirt. I wear whatever I want. It doesn't mean I'm not super, you know, also smart and educated and switched on and that I've made more women orgasm than any man on the street. So not only are there countless ways of expressing femininity, 
often the same terms will have very different connotations depending on who says them and when. The term girl boss might have contributed to a more mainstream recognition of feminism, but it can also single out women in leadership positions as something unique and therefore unexpected. For some, the words black girl magic feel like they exoticize black women, while for others, the same words are used as a celebration. That girl has a lot of positive traits, but as a trend it can create an environment where everyone seems to be expected to follow this lifestyle in order to be successful. And of course, sexually explicit terms are either discouraged or outright censored all the time. But using them is crucial in order to normalize a healthy sexual life. Everyone contains multitudes, and there's always room to explore identity, and still, always be feminine. Thank you for listening to Atlas Lingue. I'm Luis Lopez, and it has been a pleasure to accompany you on this journey. Special thanks to Drs. Julia Jordan-Zachary and Frankie Mastrangelo, Blanche Texan, and Clark Rose. Atlas Lingue is an original production by Studio Ochenta. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Sound design and production by Chiara Santella, with additional production by Linnea Wingerup. Our production coordinator is Catalina Hoyos. For more information on Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta original series and podcast, visit ochentastudio.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Our podcast is available on CastBox, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time... Hi, it's Luis here, and I want to tell you about a show we've been listening to called The Pulso Podcast. There are a lot of podcasts that cover Latino culture and news, but this is one of the first we've heard that really utilizes the throughline of history to provide more context and nuance to our stories. From the halls of Congress to the stages of Broadway, even the food we consider to be American, Latinos helped build this country. And we're not going anywhere. Yet most podcasts are still lacking Latino representation behind and in front of the mic. The Pulso Podcast is a Latina-hosted, Latina-produced show that explores untold stories and unheard voices shaping the experiences of nuestra gente. They've covered topics from beauty standards and gender equality to mental health and food origins. And did you know that there is an official Spanish version of the Star-Spangled Banner? Or that a team of Mexican lawyers changed the future of segregation laws in the 50s? To hear more, check out the Pulso podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.